Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. Uh, Phil is on the road. I am about to leave for Europe uh, for some research uh, action that I've discussed in the past few episodes. And Fortress is a wall. Everybody shame that guy. Uh, what we're going to do is offer you the lost episode. A handful of you who are on our Facebook listeners page have heard that, perhaps. Uh, we recorded it early in the summer, and... Most of our listenership has not heard it. Uh, in fact, out of about twenty-two to 25,000 listeners, maybe a 1,000 of you at the most have heard this. So we're going to offer the lost episode. Enjoy. Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was ex- beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am a nutrition and exercise physiology professor and a former competitive bodybuilder. Fortress is here to save the day. Yeah. Nice. Rob Fortress Fortney, <laughs> former editor of Muscle Mag International, former competitive bodybuilder, current uh, Tybo champion. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That just, just Well, I could say this, everybody. Rob... Um, Almost by chance, I, I was able to catch Rob after work so we get the show out more or less on time. Phil is in Canada doing a workshop uh, seminar up there. Power lip- he's actually stuff. in my town. He's in my city. So him and I are getting together for some steak, I believe. But anyway. Cool. Yeah, okay. should be all right. Haven't seen the big brute in a while, so. Absolutely. Yeah, I got to see him just a few weeks ago. Well, I guess it's been about six or eight weeks ago down at his um, Strength Guild workshop down there. But, uh, yeah, you haven't. Yeah. So. All right. Well, let's. we got some news, and we've got a topic for the day, and it's going to be Fortress and I this time around. And um, I'm going to start with a little bit of science news, and then I'll – I want to read an editorial. It's a rant, sort of from someone who I'll just call Jason from the American Society of Exercise Physiologists. Mm. Uh, and, you know, you may love or hate what he has to say, but it's um, he, he makes some interesting comments. Mm. Uh, and then I know For- Fortress has a listener question or two. I believe I do, yes. Right? And then, So let me get through some of this science in this little rant, then we'll do Fortress's question, and then we'll go to break. And after the break, our topic today is going to be how much is too much uh, in several categories actually, so stay tuned for that. Mm -hmm. Um, The first one, let me give you this. Strength and Muscle Sport News. This actually is part of what triggered today's topic. Um, 
there's a new paper from Advances in Experimental Med Biology. Uh, it's a 2013 paper. It's called Additional Effects of Taurine on the Benefits of Branched-Chain Amino Acids for Delayed Onset Muscle Soreness and Muscle Damage Induced by High-Intensity Eccentric Exercise. It's a Japanese paper. So anyway, long story short, they made everybody very sore with negatives with eccentric exercise, 36 untrained male volunteers. So untrained guys, uh, Rob, you know I used to do research with negatives, making people very sore. Untrained guys almost scare me when you do some of the eccentric kinds of uh, protocols because, you know, you don't want them to wake up the next day and be so sore and stiff and contracted that they call call for an ambulance or, you know, things that we take for granted, they might panic, but <laughs> they took 36 guys, divided them into four groups. They ingested a combination of two grams of taurine, and if people are familiar, that's one of the amino acids in Red Bull, for example, um, and 3.2 grams of branched-chain amino acids, and I think listeners know the three branch chains are leucine, isoleucine, and valine, uh, thrice a day. Nice word, thrice. Uh, two weeks prior... Are you, are you serious? Thrice? Yeah, they use thrice. I don't see that very often. Thrice? Yeah, we, we we can't use that on that. <laughs> okay, three times a day. Thank you. Uh, two weeks prior and four days after, they did elbow flexion eccentric exercise. So they're just doing like na- curls, negatives. Um, so here's the bottom line. Following the period after eccentric exercise, they did blood work um, for all these different markers for delayed onset muscle soreness and muscle damage. Uh, and they showed improvement in the combination of taurine and branched-chain amino acids uh, compared to either uh, single interventions, like just the branch chains, or placebo supplements. In conclusion, additional supplement of taurine with branched-chain amino acids would be a useful way to attenuate DOMS and muscle damage induced by high-intensity exercise. I think that's very interesting because I looked at this a lot, as I alluded to a moment ago, and it's really hard to change some of these blood markers uh, with dietary interventions especially in newbies like this, because they dump creatine kinase and all these damage markers in their blood. I mean, it's just crazy. And usually those things are not used um, to show the amount of damage. It's, it's almost like an off switch or an on switch. Oh, it's on. There's lots of, you know, this damage marker. He was damaged. But not necessarily how much he was damaged. Right. But these guys are using it as a marker of how much. And I don't know. Interesting stuff. Taurine plus branch chain amino acids might reduce soreness and muscle damage. I suppose the take-home from this by Ra, R-A, and colleagues, you know, you can get back in the gym faster, I guess, potentially. Again, it's one paper. Uh, I'm a little wary of this one. but Yeah, but you also, you also have to, again, to what degree, to what percentage is this going to help? Exactly, yeah. What's the practical implication there? I mean, you know, I mean, all these little tips that we read and studies. I mean, it's all good stuff, and certainly from your side of things, being a scientist, it's it could lead to bigger things, but at the inception of a lot of these studies, it's so limited, it seems like what you're going to benefit from it. I would think the the worth in offering it is that sometimes it can be a game of inches, you know, and when you add up enough of these inches, you make feet of progress, right. you know, so, but yeah, in any one thing by itself, it's an inch. So what? Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, two grams of taurine, 3.2 grams of the branch chains. There you three go. Three times daily. Yeah. Uh, the next one is, this is not brand new, but I thought it was interesting because there's a lot of information about the gut going around. In fact, I really think probiotics and your whole 
you know, gut biome, all of the bacteria that live in your gut and how they influence your body. This is going to be big news in the supplement industry. It's going to continue to be. It's going to be all over the news. Um, and this is related to that. This isn't just about the bacteria in your gut, but this is Scientific American Adam uh, Hadhazy. This is a, a little bit older. This is a 2010 paper, but I just want to kind of bring everybody's attention to this. It says, often overlooked, there's a network of neurons lining our guts that is so extensive, some scientists have nicknamed it our second brain. A deeper understanding of this mass of neural tissue filled with important neurotransmitters is revealing that it does much more than just handle digestion or the occasional nervous pang. Um, if I pan down here, it says, the system is way too complicated to have evolved only to make sure things move out of your colon, for example, uh, says a physiology professor. And it goes on to say, scientists were shocked to learn that about 90% of the nerve fibers in this gut nervous system carry information from the gut to the brain and not the other way around. So normally you think about, you know, oh, if you're stressed and you're worried, you know, nerves send signals down to your stomach and your duodenum, maybe you get an ulcer, you know. But this is saying, at least when it comes to the vagus nerve, sort of the big major nerve that carries information back and forth from the brain to the gut, 90% of it is actually going to your brain. So it's saying that this second brain in your, in your digestive tract informs our state of mind. I mean, obviously it doesn't do any thinking, but it can affect your mood and that sort of thing. And, you know, they're even looking at uh, electrical stimulation of the vagus nerve as a useful treatment for depression and, you know, those sorts of things. So anyway, I stumbled across that and I just thought that might be worth revisiting and letting, you know, listeners sort of just know that in addition to all these bacteria that are inside your intestines, you've also got a very specific nervous system set up um, around your stomach and your intestines, and it talks to your brain. I just think more and more uh, we're going to see these sorts of things, a, a closer and closer look from the supplement industry and in weight control and fitness uh, at the gut, um, so much so that I've been pushing for years to teach more digestive physiology in exercise science curriculum, mm. uh, you know, kind of thing. But anyway, cool stuff. And I, it just really surprised me that 90% of the information, at least in the vagus nerve, is, is not going down to the stomach from your brain. It's going up to your brain. Just kind of amazing. Uh, and then this next one, this is the rant that I was going to tell you. And, Rob, you could chime in on this. And everybody who's listening, you can chime in on this on the Facebook page. <clears throat> I know not everybody who listens is on our Facebook page, obviously, um, but uh, this guy, Jason, he just, again, he posts in the American Society of Exercise Physiologists uh, Facebook page, I believe. He says, I'm impressed by all my friends and acquaintances whom after just a year or two of exercising and eating healthy have become expert trainers, gurus, and nutritionists. They clearly know everything without ever having attended a single class on the subject and definitely not a series of classes. He says, people, if you have a car problem, you would take your car to the mechanic, not to your friend who washes his car and changes his own oil every once in a while. You would not ask a roofer to do your plumbing or a plumber to do your electrical, and you wouldn't ask someone with their GED for help on your calculus final. Why would you ask someone who has a fitness nutrition uh, as a part-time um, quote-unquote profession or as a guru just because they look good? Because they quote unquote guarantee results, or use, he says, before or after you rupture an intervertebral disc or have debilitating tendonitis. 
ask an exercise physiologist or a licensed registered nutritionist for advice on taking on training and proper diet. They'll have unbiased scientific facts for you, how your body responds to different types of diet or exercise activity. He says, we know the science, not the tricks, gimmicks, or fads of how to continue our clients to progress safely and efficiently. You know, I... This this goes on, but anyway. I I kind of fall somewhere in between, because by the same margin, I don't want to take advice from some guy who's gone through all schooling, but has never spent any appreciable time, you know, under a barbell or... Good point, yep. That's that's why I always say, to me, it has to be kind of a balance. Certainly what he's saying is true, but... We, like I said, I mean, and, and let's be realistic. I've, I've said this many times. I mean, most people, I think, would be shocked at how little a lot of the top bodybuilders in the world actually know about training. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, so many of these, these guys get by on good genetics and tons of drugs and a very, very mediocre knowledge of any sort of advanced resistance training. Type. Well, I see that some even in the powerlifting uh Sport, You know, you'll see people who are on lots of gas, so the young guys are very impressed because they can squat 900 pounds, but that's sort of it. That's kind of their claim to fame, you know, and I think people like that are why you get this meathead stereotype. You know, they swear a lot and they act tough, and they squat a lot because they're gassed out of their skulls, and, you know, you got to sort of question, does this give the guy a right to give, you know, detailed training advice? Like like this, um, what's his name, Jason? Like Jason says, he says, what are you going to wait till before or after you have ruptured discs and tendonitis? You know, uh, and that's one of the things I've bitched about before on the on this show, of course, is that you can't just a lot of these guys, they say, I do it like this. So should you. Well, that's a huge mistake because, you know, like like we've said a 100 times, drugs aside, people are radically different. You know, and if you're using if only yourself. If you don't work with clients, if you don't have the experience, like you said, under the bar, if you haven't had any coursework at all, what are you basing this on? You're basing it on yourself. And, you know, people are different. We all have different genetics. Uh, so I do see his point. And I, I know this sort of echoes some of what Phil has said in the past, which is, you know, you, you go to somebody who knows what they're doing. You know, they've got to have, like you're saying, Rob, they've got to have that experience on top of the uh, you know, the education. They have to have worked with well-known, reputable people. You know what I mean? And uh, like Phil talks about lever arms and physics and mechanical advantage. And, you know, he really makes sense And out of what he does when he teaches people. It's not just, even though it was earned in the gym, you know, there's a lot of why behind it. And if somebody can't tell you why they're doing it, you know, or if their answer is, well, because it works for me, well... That's not an answer. That's not a decent answer. I mean, imagine like imagine evidence-based medicine or you know um, pharmacy, um, that which might not be a perfect example. But you know, you you can't just um, base everything on very little. It has to be you know broadly evidence-based before you start to change your practice or you know give people advice. And these people, they just pull ideas out of their asses, and you know. Act like it's fact. You know, they create categories that don't really exist, or they try to reinvent the wheel in in their assessments, or they use hokey methods and equipment uh, to do their assessments or their monitoring. And it's you know, uh, this stuff is all it's already been done, people. It's already been done. So in yeah, in one sense, I applaud what this Jason guy is saying. Uh, on the flip side, like you said, Rob, though, 
I can tell you all the classes I've had, and I've had far too many, none of them told me what it felt like to be 4% fat or to practice posing, you know, or be in front of a thousand people in my underwear, you know, or what a deadlift feels like. Um, you know what I mean? And that's where the hands-on stuff has to be a part of it. Right, yeah. So you had some um, listener questions, didn't you? Yeah, I got a email a few weeks back, and I apologize to uh, Neil because uh, I'm only now getting to it. He's saying um, he just recently found Iron Radio. Um, he, anyway, and he's talking about he's he's been lifting for a couple of years. Um, he started doing some heavy deadlifting. Um, he felt a felt a small pop in his lower back the right of his spine. Um, anyway, he took some time off, did some things to hopefully re- rehab it a little bit with like foam rolling and all that kind of thing. Uh, then he, he, it popped again um, later on. Anyway, so then he took more time off. He's asking me where he's going wrong. Um, he's, someone suggested to me to do more good mornings and back extensions. Or is it my upper back that is the problem? His squat is still at over 300 and doesn't hurt at all, ever. So he's frustrated. Should I stop deadlifting for a few months and add a second squat day instead? Um, he also says he was listening to one of the Iron Radio shows and heard Phil talk about um, RDLs for hip and hamstring mobility. Um, the hell's an RDL? <laughs> was I on for that show? <laughs> so I think the important thing here is that, like you said, we don't, we can't diagnose. You know, I mean, and I think everybody knows that. I mean. Honestly, we have some listeners who are um, physicians' assistants and whatnot. You know who you are. Uh, you know who I'm talking about. And they could probably do a lot better job with some of this. I, if, I would just suggest, other than talking to um, a sports doc about this, you know, somebody who's familiar with sports and not just a family practitioner, no offense to the family practitioners out there, but, you know, they should be familiar. But if, you're, if you keep re-injuring yourself, and that's what it sounds like, um, You've got to start the medical process. Be an active part of your own treatment. You know, Phil and I were bitching about that the other day, because if not, you'll be poo-pooed, potentially. Um, But be an active part of your own treatment. But start the process. Get some diagnosis. You know, um, physicians can do things if they have to, like imaging, you know, take a look inside, see what's going on, um, you know, and those sorts of things. Uh, and, And get some kind of baseline data or information from which to work. Uh, I don't know what you think, Rob, um, if you have any ballpark training uh, ideas for him, like switching movements like he was suggesting. but um, Well, it's kind of weird he's even asking this because I kind of have the same thing, although I never felt a pop in kind of the area that he's referring to in the last few weeks. Maybe it's just because I've been training for so much longer. Um, and I, like I said, I haven't felt the pop and anything. What you feel something in your body pop, I guess that's kind of alarming. I've, I've never felt that. But, yeah. um, but my whole thing is kind of like just, and again, I, I hate to say this because it's probably horrible advice to most people. And a lot of it is because I've been trained for so long and I know my body so well. But I kind of just ride through stuff like that. And, and I cut. I really shouldn't be saying these types of things because it's probably horrible advice, but I kind of almost intuitively know when I should do things, when I shouldn't do things, and, and I, I find things that help alleviate aggravations in my body, if that makes any sense. Um, 
I think with enough experience, you can even perform the same movement in a way that is less aggravating. Yeah. You know, um, you know I, I, I definitely think that uh, something like a reverse hyperextension machine, um, I, I know most gyms don't have a reverse hyper bench, um, but the times that I've had access to one back in Ohio and... Uh, Ironically enough, in the gym that I'm actually training at up here has one, which is amazing. Um, I actually find that that could be good to actually kind of alleviate kind of like pressure down the lower part of the spine, uh, which, again, it might be emanating from something like that. I don't know. Um, again, it, it's like, like, like these state lines. It's impossible for us to even kind of say what that is. Um, you, you kind of just have to gauge it. Like, the, you know, it's... How much does it hurt? Is it is it a hurt because it's kind of like working through something, or a hurt because it's saying don't do this ever again? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Because your body does send different warning signs. Not every warning sign is 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 you know an imminent just don't do this anymore. Some warning. There is a learning curve with that. Well, I will say this: sometimes a pop can be uh, you know it could be some type of tendon sliding over something or, you know, who knows, as opposed to something that's a tear. I mean, if you tear something, generally, you know, there's going to be some effusion. You're going to get swollen black and blue, you know, bad things, you know, come of that. I will say this, though. I, I did feel a sort of a pop um, in my, like, left hamstring glute tie-in area. Phil and I were talking about this the other week, but I, I had 405 on the bar. I was doing a couple of reps, and something popped in there and it just aggravated the scar tissue you know i don't know if something partly let go i i don't think so um but you know that's the kind of stuff that it can be alarming um R, when he says rdl I, i'm guessing he just means romanian deadlift right I, probably but, yeah probably yeah, i just don't want to jump to conclusions i would just say just experiment with it as, as much as you can and uh and and just be mindful of the pain whether again it's like injurious to do this pain or just kind of like like I say, like we're working through something kind of pain. So yeah, everybody has to make the call whether you've got a nasty head cold and you're deciding are you too sick to lift or not, or you've got an injury. Everybody needs to walk that fine line between do I need to go enter the medical establishment with this one, <laughs> you know? So yeah. and this is just another example of that. You just got to draw that line. Um, I'm not saying run to the doctor every time you have the slightest little twinge because, like you're saying, Rob, it, it could very well be nothing, but. Um, yeah, everybody's got to draw that line. And if you think you know it would help to if it's if it keeps reoccurring and it really affects your training, go talk to somebody who's you know sports knowledgeable about it. So, so okay, let's go to break. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about how much is too much, and we're going to really address uh, uh, several um, topics here uh, from how much soreness is too sore. Um, that's sort of taken a page from one of our news blurbs today. How many sets are just too many? Um, there's a discussion on our Facebook page. How many grams of protein is too much? How many calories are too much? And it honestly just starts to become bullcrap, you know, when people <laughs> make these claims. Yeah. So we'll be back in just a little bit with that. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, 
We'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for 69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the 99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180 day rentals and one year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, folks, we're back. you got Iron Radio here. This is Rob, and we have also Lonnie on. Phil's not here today. Um, and we're talking about all sorts of things. But now we're going to get to the topic of the day, which is, Lonnie? Well, which is how much is too much, um, like we left after the break. So let me start with this one, Rob. Um, again, taking a page from that study about reducing muscle soreness, it seemed to be their goal, you know, let's reduce this. Um, do you think there's a point at which you train so intensely with negatives or weight or otherwise that you become too sore? Is there such a thing? Absolutely. Um, okay. we, we've alluded to times where you and I, in different stages of our um, you know, careers as, as weight trainers, we've gotten so sore that, I mean, it, it, it becomes... Quite honestly, madness or work. Something. I mean, I, I always used it as a reference point. I always use this, you know, infamous workout in my history where a friend and I went to the gym and we squatted. Um, it wasn't even very heavy. We, we, I think it was like two twenty-five, and we just did sets of like ten uh, for like several hours. <laughs> it was right, and yeah. you know, and it was just, um, you know, got to the point where we were, we were waiting ten fifteen minutes between sets, like three four hours later. But you know, the point. <laughs> And it got to the point, and, and I can honestly say that for about a week at least. I mean, people make jokes about, you know, people 
you know, poking them in the leg and stuff and it hurting. But most of the time, that's horse crap. You know, you're just kind of over-dramatizing it. But this yeah. literally was that bad, that if somebody actually came and flicked my quads, it hurt. And I could barely even, like, going downstairs, I could barely summon the strength to slow myself down. Um, right. You know, they were, you know, sitting on the toilet seat, and everybody who's a hardcore lower body squatter and all this kind of stuff knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, you know, sitting down on a toilet was beyond excruciating. You'd yeah, your hamstrings and your adductors and your glutes are so sore, you're almost sorry you sat down. <laughs> exactly. You've got to lower yourself down almost to the point where you're going in reverse because you have to go so slow. Um, so, I mean, you know, Rob, this begs a question, and this is something I'm going to ask Nick Bird about, who's been gracious enough to be on the show a few times, which is, um, you know, if three sets is purportedly the right amount to optimize muscle protein synthesis, then what's the value, you know, in doing 15 sets, other than possible injury prevention or working, you know, assist or muscles from different angles? If you're talking about the big prime mover, like let's say the pec or the biceps or your lats or whatever, quadriceps, what's the real benefit then to doing sets 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, you know, like you'd see on the cover of a magazine. I know you've gone on about that for ages. You know, these these routines in magazines are just, they're asinine. They're, they're absurd excess as far as number of sets. Well, I think but the if whole, we go back, I, I think the whole... I was going to say, before we get to that, though, <laughs> when we go back to soreness... I really would like to ask Nick Bird, you know, what, how's the time frame? If it's a 24 to 36 hour time frame where you boost protein synthesis from doing three regular sets, then is it an extended time frame when you're really, really sore? Like you do lots of negatives and you're crushed like you were just discussing for four, five days. Does the protein synthesis carry out that long? Does it carry out longer? That's a question I really would like to see science answer because I don't think we know that right now. We know eccentric work is great for hypertrophy, but I'd love to see the time course on that because as of right now, we're sort of we're in this belief category almost or speculation category where, you know, oh, well, protein synthesis is elevated for about 24 to 36 hours, the end. Well, not really because that, that's, that's from three regular sets of, you know, uh, concentric and eccentric combined. But what if you're really focusing on heavy, heavy negatives? Does a protein synthesis go on longer? You know what I mean? So maybe soreness like that is more protein synthetic. I'd really like to see that. You know. Yeah, no, I, w- I was only going to say, uh, you know, carry on for, from what you were talking about a, a minute or so ago. The whole idea that I think it kind of came to be because there's a, this whole <clears throat> idea that, geez, people are calling me for pizza. I think it. I think it starts from the whole idea that um, it came to be with this idea that you know you want to you know thoroughly exhaust the different muscle fibers, you know, with the fast twitch and the slow twitch, and you know really get at those fibers. You know what I mean? Like that. You know, like Bob Kennedy's, you know, whole thing about pre-exhausting something so you really you know really fatigue those fibers and really hammer them home. I think that's where the whole idea is, right? You really want to exhaust it. You really got, you know, you, you don't want to leave anything to, to, to chance, right? But and I think that's what most young guys especially, because, you know, women are generally speaking smarter trainers than guys when it comes to this kind of nonsense. 
And it's interesting that biologically they're more resistant to muscle soreness, actually. Okay, well. there you go. Um, yeah. But you know what I mean? Guys have that kind of like, and, and it happens to young guys, right? Because young guys with the, you know, the piss and vinegar and you know, the whole mentality of, you know, I'm going to go and, you know, and smash this and brutalize that and, you know, waste this. And I mean, even if you look at the ads, you know, in, or not the ads, but the articles in Muscle Mags historically, they always have some flashy, t- you know, splash page, you know, title like, you know, blasting back and, you know, right. hyperbole, you know, yeah. wrecking your abs and, you know, and destroying your glutes and, <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. So it kind of goes into further the whole idea that, you know, to really get the most benefit, you really got to, you know, decimate the living hell out of whatever you're training. Um, you know, and, and and the funny thing is, is I was, you know, you always hear it saying you can train. I, I think we we even said this a week or two ago. I think Phil said something to the effect of, you know, you can train something hard and short or long and not hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's one of those things where, like, Dorian Yates, you know, he was the whole kind of, you know, champion of, like, the whole, you know, two or three maximal sets kind of thing. You know, and, and, and the the analogy of, you know, when you're, you know, hammering a nail in, do you hit it, you know, you know, tap, 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 you know, and, and do that. Eventually, sure, you'll nail it in, but, you know, that's like 10 minutes later, you know, or you just take the big club and bang, bang, knock it in. Um so yeah, I think I think you could definitely go too far. And as far as getting too sore, yeah, I mean, th- there's a point where it just reaches ridiculous levels. Where, like I say, it's taking you a week or more to recover. And again, coming from a standpoint of not being a scientist, but th- th- that to me just speaks of complete overkill. Um, there's there's really no reason for that. Well, especially I mean, let's say for example that study is done and they show that listen, muscle protein synthesis it only peaks about 24 to 36 hours after and all the rest of that time you're rocked for no reason you know <laughs> uh, i mean some right. people might want to do that anyway you know because they find that sat- brutal or decimating or satisfying in some way some you know some almost you know masochistic way but um you know you're not any further ahead now on the flip side if you do get twice the duration of protein synthesis maybe it's worth it then you know i mean we know that eccentric training is very anabolic, you know, it causes lots of hypertrophy. So, yeah, it, it really, I agree with you, though. There is a point where how destroyed do you want to be? Do you want to be so destroyed that you're curled up in bed, you can't even go to school or, or work? Um, you know, and you're, I've actually seen people get so sore and so traumatized that they were almost myalgic, like weak, shaky, uh, almost feverish, you know, they have a higher metabolism. There's, These things really happen. Yeah. There's no question yeah. that those things happen because I can't count the amount of times in my, certainly earlier, my more bodybuilding eccentric, uh, bodybuilding eccentric training where I would exhibit those type of symptoms. You know, like my, my met- metabolism was flying. I felt like I had the flu. Um, these types of things. You, you have to. Well, obviously, if you take it far enough, you end up with rhabdo, you know, rhabdomyolysis, which is then you put yourself in the hospital. So, you know, you're right. This machismo thing can be taken too far sometimes. Not to say that now it's hard. It's hard to just say no. You know, it's hard to back away when the testosterone starts flowing in the gym. I mean, we have to be honest here, you know. Yeah. And and one of my biggest learning curves in the last dozen years has been this gradual coming to the idea that, you know, again, you have to kind of have an idea of when you have made your point um, I think people know what I'm talking about that, you know, like made the point to your body 
You know, yeah. I want you to be stimulated in a certain way, you know, and then know when it's been achieved. And like you say, going further is just overkill. You know, at that point, you're just, at that point, like you say, you're not only just, uh, you know, threatening to not be able to really train properly, or if at all, for several days, but you're also taxing your system in such a way that that benefits nothing towards increased strength or muscle gain. Well, it's just, at the it's very almost, least, it's almost like just challenging your body to stay alive. Yeah, you well, know? I think at the very least, you're delaying, right? Because if if you can't get back in the gym for a full seven days, you know, to get back to that body part. Now, that's not that's not necessarily um, too long, but you know what I mean. If if you could have gotten back in the gym on day five after the first workout, and you can't do that until day seven, or if you could have gotten back into the gym just two or three days later, and you're taking, you know, a week or more because you're so ruined, at the very least, you're slowing down the progress, you know what I mean, because you just can't get in for another workout. You know, and I think kind of I, almost back to Waterbury stuff. And I, and I would like to stress what I just said because I actually stumbled, despite my own re- ridiculousness. I think I just stumbled on a good point there, and that <laughs> is that the whole idea. Because I have thought this many times when I've been that sore, where I've been like, I've thought, you know, I, I've gotten myself to to a point where I required so much recuperation. It went so far beyond recuperating to again towards strength and muscle gain, and to a point where the recuperation was almost like lying in a hospital just to preserve my own life, you know. I'm not saying yeah. I necessarily got that far, but you know what I'm saying when your metabolism is going crazy and you're sweating, oh, yeah. and like you say, your shake body parts are shaking, and it's almost like your Well, body, you're so weak, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like your body is saying, forget the muscle and the strength. We're just trying to get us back, <laughs> kind of, the whole... The whole system, systemically, we're trying to it's get... It's true, Rob. It's an of... injury response, right? It's called the acute phase response. And whether you got hit by a car or you just had a hernia repair or you did it to yourself in the gym, it's a similar injury response, you know? Right. So, well, now that takes us to the number of reps then. How many reps are too many? Because we were just talking about soreness, and, and this, this is, of course, very linked, and we've already touched on this a little, but a lot of this obviously depends on the percent of your one rep max, you know, where are you with your intensity, with your load, you know, but uh, for example, if you're going to train five sets of five, that's going to be pretty damn heavy. But then like Nick Bird would suggest, well, you might want to do 20 or 25 reps if you're just at 30% of your maximum, you know, but at what point do you think is just foolish, (laughs) <laughs> number of reps. Well, in a I mean, set. Even could you remember the hundred rep sets that were around years ago? Well, yeah, and I mean, there, there, there's, I mean, some of our older listeners might remain remember a name like Johnny Fuller and stuff like that, yes. uh, a bodybuilder from like thirty years ago. He was renowned for doing like you know sets of like seventy five, you know, and doing like twenty sets of that, like just mind boggling shit. And <laughs> <laughs> but but the thing is. You look at the guy and you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, again, like how much of that type of – I mean, we have talked many times about how any type of training will get you somewhere, you know. Yeah. We, yeah. And certainly when you're dealing with somebody who's using, you know, a lot of chemical or hormonal assistance, um, they can almost grow despite the fact that their training is completely ill-advised. That's a great point, Rob. They grow despite 
their training. Well, no, exactly, because, because yes, indeed, anything you do is going, like, you know, you, you lift something and you're going you're gonna to stimulate something. And if you're on that much stuff, you know, and you respond naturally well anyway, um, you're going to get somewhere with it, right? So you think to yourself, okay, well, you know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, he was renowned for training six hours a day, you know, six days a week. And people are like, well, Arnold, that's how Arnold trained. Well, not everybody's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Not everybody's using what Arnold Schwarzenegger was using. Um, yes. You know, uh, yeah. and so, again, I'm going to talk in, in, in terms of the, the people who are not using, you know, hormonal chemical assistance um, or certainly people who are not using much. You have, you've got to understand, understand the concept that, yes, there's a certain point where you're just, that the percentage of your one rep max is so low, you know, and we've talked all, I mean, you actually brought up a good point a few weeks ago, Lonnie, about the whole idea that, how, you, you know, you posed this kind of question to Phil and I, like, how important do you guys think a pump is, you know, mm-hmm. as an effective means to actually, you know, push hypertrophy? And we were talking about, but the whole idea that, you know, it certainly is a good ego boost. It makes you feel good and all that kind of stuff. And certainly there might be some, you know, benefit to that as far as pumping blood through a muscle and nutrients right, or maybe dispersion and all that kind of stuff. Pooling anabolic hormones exactly. in the Exactly. But I mean, yeah. but let's face it. I mean, you can get a pump with, a, you know, 10 or 12 reps, and you can certainly get a pump with 200 reps. Um, right. what, what kind of percentage are you going to be using if you do 200 reps? <laughs> you know, what are you, you know, working at? Exactly. 3% of I mean, at some point, <laughs> at some point, muscle, I mean, I, I, I know, I understand the point that, you know, maximum muscle hypertrophy doesn't necessarily mean that you're working towards your absolute strength limits, like a power lifter. And there's the, you know, I mean, Bob Kennedy used to constantly say to me that, you know, bodybuilding and muscle growth was just largely about volume and reps. And I understand what he's saying because I actually, do agree with that, but yeah. just like we're saying on the other opposite end of things, there could be too little, too much. There's always that balance where it just goes completely out of control. I mean, you know, what is too much? What? How many reps are too many? I mean, you know, even if your focus is bodybuilding, there is, you know, and maybe maybe absolute strength is not necessarily directly, you know, linked to to muscle size. It's, you know, muscle size definitely does have a correlation to a certain degree of muscle strength. Maybe not absolute sure. muscle strength, but certainly a muscle strength that goes beyond muscle, muscular endurance strength. Um, you know, and, and I think anybody who has any knowledge, both from an academic standpoint or an experience standpoint, or both, like you, Lonnie, will say that, you know, reps of you know, 30, 40, 50, I mean, again, unless you're just trying to purpose, purposefully flush warm blood around a muscle or something because you've been injured or, you know, you just want to train, but you don't really, you shouldn't train because you're kind of having a layoff, but you just want, like, again, you just want to, I use the phrase move blood around a little bit. Um, Well, I think about time under tension, and you could argue one of those 75 or 100 repetition sets, that's more time under tension. But, you know, you've also, I, I would think at the least, as a physiologist, you have got to consider how much tension. If the tension is like you're saying, if it's if you have to use ten percent of your one rep max, five percent to get to a hundred reps, what are you doing? You know. Well, yeah, uh, and I remember Arnold even once saying people say, you know, he was talking about cab, building calves, and you know, and he said his whole thing was, or was it Dorian Yates? I think it was Dorian Yates, and he said, you know, like you see guys on a standing calf raise and they're using one hundred and fifty pounds. And he's like, well, if you're an average man, you you know, all day long you're doing using more weight than that for thousands of steps every day. So how exactly. much of a training effect is that going to incur on your body? 
which is, I think, what you're trying to talk about, Lonnie. It's like, yeah, if, you're, if your percentage is so, is in relative terms to what you would normally do actually pulling a soup can out of the cupboard, you know, <laughs> right. and, you know what I mean? If, if, if that's the equivalent of what yeah. you're doing, you might as well just stay home and pull freaking some chunky soup out of the freaking cupboard. You know, because right, you're, you're yeah. achieving, if the stimulus is going to be the same. I mean, the whole idea that you can't keep doing the same thing and expect to, you know, alter yourself in some way has to be always the preeminent thing in your mind, right? So when you go into the gym, you have to think, what am I here for? If I'm here to get bigger and stronger, if I'm doing in relative terms the same amount of kind of volume or work or percentage of kind of resistance that I would normally, you know, encounter carrying a couple, you know, bags of groceries into my house, you know, and taking a dog right. for a walk and, you know, opening a few doors and going up some stairs. I mean, if it's, if, 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 in, if, if they're comparable, then, and these are all things that you do weekly, daily, all the, you know, where are you going to go with this? You might as well, well just stay home. If I put this sort of academically, this is the, you can overload yourself in, in one of basically, you know, three major ways. You can do more frequency, you know, again, we had Chad Waterbury talking about that. You can do more intensity, you know, more weight on the bar. Or you can do more time spent, you know, number of total load, you know, sets times reps, let's say. And that's, those are your options. And we've said a hundred times before, obviously you can't have both. If the volume goes way up, then the intensity, the percent of your one rep max has to come down. You know, there has to be fewer plates on the bar to move it that many times. And, you know, and that sort of thing. If you try to do too much of both, uh, you, yeah, like we said, you could literally put yourself in the hospital. So, yeah, you, you only have so many overload options. So that, that brings me to the intensity one then. Uh, this is the necessary dark side to the number of repetitions in a set. Um, how much weight is too much? Now, I know that's very relative, but let's think about percent one rep max for an average guy, not a super advanced guy, you know, um, what percentages, Rob, do you think are you not going to want to see most guys exceed on a regular basis? On a re- Oh, that's good that you said regular basis, because I certainly think that you know, any you know, weight training enthusiast, um, generalized exerciser, should at some times exceed it, the percentages that I'm going to say. But yes, generally speaking, I think the average weight trainer would do well to not often exceed 80-85% of their one max. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, that's a little bit lower than I would have guessed. I mean, the NSCA yeah, would no, say, I, at least I, when I you're think, peaking, I think most people, 93%, most people, you know. Yeah, no, I think, I honestly, I, I strongly think that most people who are, again, doing resistance training with the idea to, you know, quote-unquote, tone up, put a little muscle on, the, oh, all that kind you. of thing, uh, shape and firm their, you know, and shape their body and all that. I think most people, generally speaking, don't need to exceed 80, 85% of their one max. Well, I think what you're saying is really a, is great advice for a lot of bodybuilders, too, because you and I have said this a hundred times. It's been a while on the show if we've really gone on about this, but I was talking to Pep the other day, and we were talking about, and Rob, you're going to smile because you and I have had this conversation. The size of the wheels that you can build, the legs that you can build with just two and a quarter to 315 on the bar. You oh, know, I, you I, do I, not have to be using 405 every time you're under the bar or, you know, pushing that 
like you were saying, 85, 90, 95 percent range. You know, I have always said that if you you if you have a reasonably good, you know, uh, genetics, and I, I hate to use the word genetics because it's bantered about so often, but people know. I know, and it's so multifaceted. Totally, but I mean, in a very generalized way, and I use that word too many times too. But in a generalized way, if you have reasonable genetics to build big legs. You really, and you're willing to even do drugs, I know for a fact that you can, there's people that can build world-class wheels with no more than 300 pounds. Three, three, I would agree with that. Yes, three, sir. 315 on the bar. Because, I mean, I mean, I've said that my, my biggest gains on my legs came when I would, would do, like, high rep squats with three plates. And I certainly know that Tom Platts always loved the magic number of 315 on the bar. I mean, there's a guy that used to go up to 600 pounds for 10. So um, there, there's something to be said about that, you know. So, I mean, when people say to me, well, what's the point, you know, like when they see me with five, 600 pounds at the bar, you know, they're like, what's the point of doing that? Because cause they're always thinking in terms of, again, just fitness and building muscle. You know, they don't realize that, you know, powerlifting, competitive back powerlifting is the extreme end of that, you know. Because um, they're really, because yes, from a, from a hypertrophy standpoint, there's there's really no point. I mean, yes, there's a certain amount of thickness and certainly an overall body size, you know, that will be altered, but from using those kind of excessive weights. But from a purely localized muscle hypertrophy, you don't really need more than that. And I mean, right. As far as me, so let's put that let's put that in a percentage. So let's say if somebody can. You know, like you've often said, you could count on one hand the number of guys who can legitimately squat 405 nice and clean for a set in any gym. So if we set 405 at a maximum, 80% of that is 320. So there you go. Right. You know, 80%. Yeah. No, so it's, and like I say, 80, 85%, because, you know, I, I think that a good rep range probably for most people is somewhere between 6 and 12, you know, somewhere around there. And if you're moving weights, with precision and properly and like on things like squats with proper depth and you know bench presses bringing the bar fully down under control i mean you're you're going to find a lot of people that really are going to struggle to be to get between a six and a 12 with you know with anything more than 85 percent if you do the standard calculation six reps is about 85 percent Okay. You know. Well, there you um, go. There you four go. reps is ninety percent. Right. Uh, you know that kind of thing. Well, so eight reps would be eighty percent. You know. See, well, what you're saying right there is kind of like totally backing up what I'm saying. It is. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. So fortress is not full of it. <laughs> even, <laughs> even when I don't know what I'm talking about, I know what I'm talking about. Well, and you know, and I want to offer a little caveat there too. I understand with periodization and general training schemes, you're going to. Like with linear periodization, you're going to be adding weight. You're going to be adding intensity as the weeks pass, you know, but at the, while you're reducing volume, let's say. That's the classic linear periodization, you know, increase the percent of your one rep max that you're using, but decrease the, the total load, you know, sets times reps yeah, yeah. Uh, as you do that, the volume, that is. Um, so I understand that's a highly variable question, but I think it's worth addressing, especially for inexperienced um, listeners who might get too excited and just like they trash their muscles too much, sometimes too much weight is too much. Your form is poor, or even if you're holding form and you're always in the 90 plus plus percent range and you're doing that more than once a week, you might want to give that some thought, you know. So Yeah. Um, the last few minutes we have, and we're just about out of time, I just wanted to 
chime in on our Facebook discussion that it keeps kicking. Uh, this, this discussion, it won't go away. We talked last time about grams of protein, you know, in a single dose and a probably, it's probably between 20 and 40. 20 for younger guys, 40 for older guys to optimize protein synthesis. Um, so I'm not going to beat that one too much because 20 to 40 is very reasonable. And think about it. 40 grams of protein, let's say we'll push the upper end of that times Five meals, something realistic, so, four or five meals, so are you 200, saying, are you, 240 grams a day. Are you saying more than for older guys? Yeah, there was a little bit of um, evidence that young guys peak protein synthesis with as little as 20 grams of protein in like in a post-workout shake, like whey. Mm-hmm. Um, and that older guys, because they don't digest and efficiently absorb and assimilate it quite as well, they might need 40. Uh, now, these are old men. So, you know, maybe you extrapolate and you say middle-aged guys are in the middle and we need 30. I don't know. But, you know, you do the math anyway, and it always works out anyway, you know, because, like I said, four or five meals I think is about right. And, you know, 40 grams per meal, that's 200 to 240, you know, what is that, 160 to 200, whatever. You know, gram per pound, basically. Um, And then, but I wanted to ask you about calories, how many calories are too much? Because we push this on the show a lot, right? Crash through barriers, go for the calories. What do you think, Rob? Have you ever heard absurd calorie numbers? You're like, you know, that's just too much. Well, I mean, you you know, there's there's the infamous, you know, Victor Richards, you know, quote oh, yeah. from yeah. 20 years ago in the 80s or whatever, you know, when he was said that he ate 30,000 calories a day, you know, and then uh, certainly, you know, Greg Kovacs has been quoted as saying some mind-numbingly stupid numbers. I mean, yeah, I mean, when you're talking about, you hear people saying, you know, eight to 12,000 calories. I mean, yeah, that's doable. But at some point, it just, just like we're saying about, you know, volume or weight lifted, it, be, it becomes completely mind-numbingly stupid and just counterproductive because, I mean, literally, you have somebody feeding you bowls of food while you're sitting on the can. Because well, and I'll tell you, Rob. Not only is it hours per day is the problem, you know, like or like, yeah, like you're saying, you'd be sitting on the can all day long and eating with a snow shovel. I mean, it's just asinine. That's my word for the day. But in addition, it's the same thing with the with the protein issue. You know, it's not how much protein you can actually swallow or even absorb. It's how much you can actually synthesize into muscle tissue based on your hormone profile and other things. And a lot of these guys that are eating these redonkulous amounts of <laughs> of food, Gary Strideman, his legendary intake, you know, GH is a giant part of that, people. And I mean, I think a lot of listeners know that, but large amounts, you know, gram quantities of anabolics plus, you know, I don't know, a dozen IUs of GH a day, you know, then you can actually synthesize it. Everything you eat becomes muscle. Why wouldn't you eat as much as you can? But even those guys, I wouldn't think realistically could probably consume better than about 10,000 calories worth of, at least they have, if they have any kind of variety in a solid diet, you know? <laughs> right, right. I mean, let's be realistic. Talk yeah. about the, the average guy starts to pound away more than you know, between five and 7,000 calories a day. Things are getting a little out of hand, you know? And I would agree. And I'll tell you, I did a behavior project, like a self-behavior change project. And everybody in class was staring at me when I was in San Diego. They're all trying to cut calories. And I'm, I was trying to consistently eat 4,500 calories a day. And I'm telling you, it was hard. Uh, some listeners who are longtime listeners of the show might remember me going on about this. But, you know, I would wake up and have like six bowls of oatmeal, six pieces of toast, and six cups of milk. 
You know, that's what 4,500 calories is a day, people. For lunch, I would have six turkey burritos, you know. I mean, that's a lot of food. So when I hear people boast about six or 8,000 calories a day, unless they're doing that like with super soft Big Macs and they're washing them down with Coke, you might actually be able to do that that way. But again, with any kind of variety or healthy food intake, I mean, for God's sake, how much broccoli and rice is that going to be? Buckets, you know, buckets or eggs, you know. So, yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Not realistic. Exactly. And like, I mean, I, I try and consistently try and get between three and 4,000, and I rarely get to 4,000 calories. You know, I'm 280 pounds right now. Um, and like like you said, Lonnie, I mean, you can do it, but it is superhuman to be able to do that every day, you know, of every week. Great point. For yes. every month, like you say, because it takes unbelievable dedication, patience. I mean, and what's your lifestyle? Like I said, like, I mean, you've got to be close to a toilet constantly. I mean, Rob, let me let me re-emphasize something you just said. It's the consistency that's so hard. Exactly. If some of the listeners are going, oh, those guys can't eat more than 4,000 calories a day, wussies. It's like, oh, no, 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 back up. Step step off, mister, because you can do that once. I'm not saying you can't, or maybe even tomorrow. But after a couple of days of that, it's going to wear on you hard time. Oh, there's no, there's no question, because you start feeling like it's just your life becomes either prepping food, eating food, Sitting on the can, flatulating like a freaking cow in a field. Well, I well mean, your metabolism just... won't have it. You know, like you almost can't shove any more food in your your mouth won't even open for it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and so... and like I say, I mean, it's it's. I've always said that they, you know, tr- for me, I can only speak for myself, but I have heard a lot of other lifters say the same thing. The training part is the e- is the easy part for me. You know, um, it's the eating large amounts of food consistently. That's the challenge, you know, so... Well, and we talk about the battle of the knife and fork, and I'm a firm believer in it. you got to win at the dinner table, you know, um, in order to win the gain, you know, uh, contest right. as far as muscles and strength. Right. But, um, I mean, yeah, again, any, just trying to, again, being realistic, what's the upper limit? I, I'm going to guess it's around four, I'll be generous for a bigger guy, four to 5,000 calories. If you hear people boasting above, above that, they're either lying or miscalculating, you know, or they're not doing it consistently day in and day out. And like, and like you even said, you know, like a four, to me, to consistently get 4,000 calories in a day, that's, that's, that's heroic. Because, I mean, like we're saying, man, anybody can freaking down a large freaking pizza and a large damn pop and kill it. But, I mean, yeah, if you're eating kind of halfways healthfully, Right, for, yeah, for variety. For, yeah. Forget it. You know, like it's just and tons of protein. Yeah. There's no freaking way. Um, I, I mean, I, uh, I, I just all, thought that'd be a fun one. Yeah, yeah. and obviously you always want to try and try and push towards something that's more toward if you know at the higher end. But I mean, yeah, to be consistent like that. I mean, that's, there's days where I literally probably eat less than two thousand calories a day. You know, and and usually that's in direct opposition to two or three days before where I was achieving three or 4,000 calories a day. And that's because right. my bo- body is almost revolting by sending so many messages to my head going, 
for God's sakes, man, let us like just clear the shit out. You know what I mean? Like so. Right. Well, we just talked about the gut nervous system and how it talks to your brain. You well, know, there you there go. You, exactly. Good. Good. Uh, wrapping that up right there. But yeah, exactly. I mean, at some point, your body is just like, whoa. Can we just have a day where we can just kind of like empty shit out and just like literally, literally and figuratively, and kind of get back to a semi-normal state of energy levels because, you know, when you're downing this much food, I mean, you're just sluggish and you feel like crap and you're sweating all the time. And it does have to be done. Like, let's not poo-poo. That, you know, you've got to make that kind of effort. It's just, um, yeah, at some point you, you can only go so far. Again, back to the topic, you know, right. of too much. Right. You know. Um, well, I'm going to leave listeners with this then. Um, if you can think of other things that are too much, Chime in on the Facebook page. You know, there's probably lots of things you could think about. We just, you know, pulled a half a dozen things out of our behinds here. You know, thought it'd be fun to talk about. Um, but you know, in a sport that can be extreme, uh, w- without question, how much is too much? There's got to be lots of things to think about. Yeah. So for sure. All right. Well, All right, I'm glad I could be on the show today. Uh, it was. I wasn't like I said. It wasn't going to happen, but it happened because it had to happen. And when all else fails, Fortress doesn't. I kind of like that. Fortress is there. <laughs> anyway, but I'm glad I could be on today. And actually, as it turns out, I'm going to be on next Saturday as well. So rock on. Rock on. So everyone out there, uh, keep lifting. Keep sending us your emails. And uh, like I said, if you have questions for us, we'll try as best we can to. Uh, I'll either send you a response about it or we'll... Uh, discuss it on the air so right on okay until next time iron radio is accepting donations if you like what we do the professors the scientists the bodybuilding show promoters the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding um please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google... CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein. You can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes. Everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types, practical applications, and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the -the state-of-the-art science And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here. I do make a single digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount, however, obviously I've done it for that purpose. I did it because, like you, I want to have something I can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what perhaps a health educator might tell you about 
the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any, on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.